0: Good morning, Anthem Church. Uh, I'm, I'm Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. If we hadn't had the privilege to meet yet, and uh, also just welcome the any families that are here uh, for graduation um, weekend. We're just really excited to worship together with you this morning. Uh, we, we've been rolling through our Advent series. Um, you can see Prepare Him Room, and, and we've been visiting these themes um, building up to Christmas when we ultimately celebrate Jesus coming in the flesh for us. So we've, we've visited so far hope, joy, and peace, and, and today I get to talk about love. And so we're going to be in Luke uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses like 57 to around 79 or so, and, and just kind of wrestling with, with God's love for us. And, and I think there's something here as I so I was thinking about this. I think often I catch my heart at least, like, when you really, really wrestle and sit with these truths, there's like this, like, yeah, but that's too good to be true. Like, you know when you have these moments, I was like six or seven, we went down to the, the Las Vegas of the Midwest, Branson, Missouri, um, you ever been there? And, and I absolutely loved magic, um, I don't anymore. I'm a pastor now. I put that past me, but um, but but I loved magic. I had a magic set, and I, I just loved like playing with magic. And we went down there, and there was this magic show. Has anyone heard of Kirby Van Burch? No one. Big deal for me. A couple people. Awesome. So Kirby Van Burch, I was I was so excited to go see Kirby Van Burch, 2015. He had some tax fraud stuff. He's not doing so good now. But when I was six or seven, man. He was a big deal. Wikipedia said he was world-renowned. So we were down there, and we're watching Kirby, and there's this auditorium of like, I mean, a few hundred people. There's a ton of people in there, all right? And sometimes magicians call it volunteers, but you're in a, you're in a massive auditorium. There's a ton of people. But, but Kirby's like, hey, do we want a few volunteers to go up? That is a six-year-old's dream to go be cut in half by a magician. So I was like immediately like, yes. Me, but, like, we're, like, way in the back, and I was, like, there's, there's not a chance that this is going to happen. But I raised my hand, and he calls on three volunteers in the room, and, and he picked me. So, yeah, no big deal. So Kirby picked me. Yeah, you guys are clapping like I did something. <laughs> I, I just raised my hand. But, but I actually don't, like, I went up there, and he did, like, a he made us disappear. I don't know exactly what happened. I don't remember a lot about the trick other than, like, I was just in shell shock the whole time, like it was literally like a this is too good to be true moment and it's so much so that I couldn't actually sit in it and until after I was like, wait, like that actually happened. I was like on stage at a magic show and I was in a really cool magic trick that I don't know what I did but it looked really cool to, to everyone else but, but there's this, this shell shock element, it's like this can't be real, right? And, and and to the point where I again I couldn't even like really enjoy the moment of being up there. I just kind of remember being like astounded that it was there. We have these things that are too good to be true, right? My uh, one of my mentors, um, he came to my house about three months ago, and he's like, I have something for you, and um, he he brought this by, and and he brought it by. For two parts, two reasons. Um, One, my wife and I have just been in the adoption process, and it's been a long, long, hard process. And so there was just the fact of like, hey, Lord's timing, wait. uh, The bottom of this, it says, new dad. And it's a a father looking down upon his child. So this is the one part, but even more than that, he wrote me a note with it. And one of the things he's just been helping me process through is God's love and delight for me. He's like, this is, this is how God looks at you. So Father, just gazing down into his child's face, just pure delight, and pure joy, and pure gladness. Nothing to offer, just glad that you're there and you're seen and you're loved by God. See, I think with this, this sits on my desk. My question is is this too good to be true for you? When you think of how God looks at you, when you think of God's love, mercy, Delight in you. Think about God's gaze upon you. Do you think it's too good to be true? Like God doesn't actually or can't actually look at me like that. And to the point where you almost don't let yourself enjoy it or sit in that. Because it can't be real. And I think what we see in Luke's text today, we we see with Zechariah kind of two different versions of his enjoyment of of God's promises and God's faithfulness. So Zechariah in Luke 1, verses 57 to 66 it says, now, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. So this is referencing John. So Elizabeth was, was Mary's cousin, and it's, it's, there's references earlier where they meet each other, and they leap in the womb. You guys saw this as we, we talked through this, and See, she now has her baby. And they wanted to call him Zachariah the father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. So if you kind of missed this, earlier in chapter 1, there's an angel talking to Zechariah. And he's talking about he's going to have a son born. And Zechariah is old in age. So, and he's actually, it says he's been praying for this. This is something he's been asking God for. And he literally has an angel telling him, hey, this is going to happen. And immediately, he says, too good to be true. And he questions it. And when he questions it, God actually closes his mouth to where he can't talk. So he comes out of the, the temple, and, and, and Zechariah can't speak anymore, and people are like kind of astounded. So now we're here in, in, uh, in Luke, and his, his son's born. And, and usually they would name the, the son after the father and say, so What are you going to name him when they went to do circumcision? And Elizabeth said, John. So they point over to Zechariah, and he asked for a tablet. And he writes on it says, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, so he sees that the promise fulfilled. He sees that his son has been born. And he says, this is his name. Because the angel told him, you will name your son John. He says, this is his name. It is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. He sees it. Fulfilled, he sees it happen, he sees the promise being fulfilled, and he allows himself to sit in it. And fear came on all the neighbors. Because they had seen, they had heard that he couldn't speak anymore, and all of a sudden he can speak, and he's blessing God. Going down to, to verse 67 there. He, he breaks into like a song, actually. Like, this is all he knows how to do. The promise has been fulfilled. But what we're going to see in this song, the promise is not merely, like, he he recognizes at this point, it's not the promise, I have a son. That's not merely the promise, Is my son has been born. The promise is the coming Messiah has been fulfilled. And he sees that, and he recognizes that, and he sits in that. And it has nowhere to go but to overflow and bubble up into praise. He says, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he, he has visited and redeemed his people. The, the thing about this, this chapter here, the, this section, it's, it's called the Benedictus, and, and he, he's referencing uh, the Old Testament a number of times, uh, allusions, and actually uh, pulling text from this, and what he's doing here is he's pulling the promises of God are being fulfilled, that the scriptures are being fulfilled right before our eyes, every single one of these, so actually I'm going to walk down through, verse 69 says, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, Psalm 132, 17 there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared my lamp prepared a lamp for my anointed. God's promise. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. The next one, Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6: Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. So this is another prophet Jeremiah speaking. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. See, again, this isn't merely I have a son now. This is scripture is being fulfilled. God's promises are being fulfilled. It's happening. Verse 71 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of his enemy. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from day of old. Micah 7, 20. Verse 73, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. This is Genesis 22, God talking to Abraham. You see how this is all over the Old Testament. It it has been spoken through so many different prophets and people. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations the earth be blessed, because you obeyed my voice. In your offspring all the nations will be blessed. Seventy-four, that we delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. Zephaniah three fifteen, the Lord has taken away the judgment against you, he has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil, 75, in holiness and righteousness before him all your days. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, and I will give them one heart and one way, and they, that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them, promise, after promise, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So this is, this is actually, he breaks into song. And I wonder if John hears this later. He's like, Dad, you broke into song, but only one of those verses was about me. Everything else was about my cousin. It's like, <laughs> this is the only line about John in here. Verse 76, the reference here. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, Will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about his son here, but again, everything else is pointing towards God's fulfillment in the Messiah. Christ has come. 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Reference here, 76 and 77. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way. Oh, that one goes with that one, sorry. 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall visit us from on high. Malachi 4:2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping with calves, like calves from the stall. Finally, verse 79: to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The people, Isaiah 9-2, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So, so why do I go through those? Israel has been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of years for these promises to be fulfilled. It's why Zachariah's initial response in the temple is too good to be true. There's no way. Immediately he, he, he sees in John that it's my son that will prepare the way for the Messiah. And he sees that every single one of these promises is being fulfilled right before his eyes. And instead of this time saying, too good to be true, he says, this is too good not to be true. And I can't do anything but rejoice over this. God has come. Our salvation is coming. Deliverance is coming. This is what Israel has been waiting for. And it's what our soul longs for. See, these songs are not just a mere fulfillment of Israel's salvation and the deliverance of Israel, but of God visiting and redeeming all of humanity. God redeeming his relationship with you and with me, with all of the earth. This is what your soul this is what Israel is waiting for and this is what your soul longs for and waits for. See, these, these promises from thousands of years ago are fulfilled in your life as well. That promise made to, made to Abraham in Genesis 22, you are the people that are being blessed through the faithfulness of Abraham. Abraham. We are the people still receiving that blessing thousands of years later. And what do we get from these promises? What what happens? What is fulfilled for us? Verses seventy seven to seventy nine. See, he's going to prepare a way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins. Said another way, we we are now forgiven and we get salvation. We are forgiven and we have salvation. And verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. We go from darkness and death to having life and peace. Peace. See, it's not merely just a, a, a cognitive, okay, I'm forgiven and I'm saved now. I'll see you later, Jesus. It is an experiential participating in the life of God now, in the light of God now, in the peace of God now. It's not save for later, tab that. So We walk in light now. We walk in peace now. Our, our feet are guided now. and these promises all of them are anchored on God's love for us this entire passage this entire passage points towards Jesus ultimately it points towards love embodied that points towards love taken on flesh for us it point towards God redeeming his people because of his love for them. Because that's the question how do we get there? Like this, this offer, right, of a, of a relationship with God, a relationship with your Father, how do you get there? Notice all of these promises are all based on what God has done and what God will do. Him acting towards us. All of them. Him acting towards his people, fulfilling promises for his people, pursuing his church, pursuing his bride, pursuing you, pursuing me. And why he does this, again, is all anchored on one verse. Verse 78 says because we atone for ourselves, no. because we sacrifice and live perfectly, because we're good people, because we give to the right things, because we attend church on Sunday. None of those. Because of the tender mercy of our God. That's what this whole thing sits upon that's what every promise in there sits upon these promises of salvation and life and peace are all anchored on one thing and one thing alone God's love and tender mercy towards us I always like to. I have jokes I revisit too often with people, um, and one of my favorite ones is like when someone's like holding their baby and like we have to go feed them. I'm like, your kid's kind of selfish, right? And like they're just always kind of taking up your time. <laughs> but but I say that like jokingly because it's like babies don't have a lot to offer, right? But the love and the I I love watching people parent. I love watching. Parents' love for their kids, genuinely, it's like one of my favorite things. Because it doesn't, it doesn't like make a lot of sense cognitively when you think of like conditional relationships, and especially with our society and like things being based on condition and what can you offer me. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But to see a parent taking care of their baby, it is one of my favorite things. Because, because. Babies, they offer nothing aside from just themselves who they are. And that's like us. Like a newborn. Nothing to offer. Hear that? Nothing to offer. But a father gazing at us gazing upon us in love and delight. Talk about too good to be true, right? Genuinely. It's like, that is hard. And I think this is why you see Paul praying for the Ephesians. Lord, open up their minds. They might see your love, the, the breadth and length and height and depth, the vastness of your love that surpasses knowledge that we can't cognitively make sense of because we don't have a box for that. That's God's love for us. See, what are we to do with this? Again, there's, there's two responses. You can hear something like that, and you say, well, well, but... Or, or, God, you don't know what I did yesterday, last week, last year. You don't, you don't know how I treated my family. You don't know what, what I did in that job. You don't know what I did in that relationship. Well, but we bring up these questions. Because we can't make sense of it. It's to this love, this unconditional love is too good to be true. And I I think what we can do at times is we don't allow ourselves to enjoy these truths because we don't feel like we deserve them. God freely offers this love, freely offers us to sit in that, freely offers us life in Him, life in peace, life with Him, he freely offers that. But we don't feel like we deserve it. So we kind of push back a little bit. Or we kind of put up these protective measures. See, here's the thing. None of us are deserving of it. I'm not deserving. You're not deserving. We are not deserving of it. And I realize this truth is, is a little too good to be true. But here's what God asks us, that we would have faith to believe that, that we would allow him in, that we would allow these truths to bleed into our heart and to sit in them. It's, a, it's genuinely a vulnerable thing to like, uh, like actually sit in these and try to like believe them and try to wrestle th- with them and, and like allow yourselves to enjoy these promises that we have from God. It's a vulnerable thing because you put your heart out there and, and a lot of times we can take our framework of what we've seen in relationships when we put our heart out there and we put it onto God times we've we've put our heart out there for family for significant others for friends to say hey you love me i'm going to be vulnerable with you i'm going to i'm going to put my heart out there for you and it doesn't go the way you thought but that's not how god acts towards us when we put our heart out there for him there is no fear in perfect love There is no, that there is no fear in the perfect love of God. When we put our heart out there for God, he doesn't stiff arm us and say go clean this up, go fix this up. He says I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I just want you. I just want you. See, we have to stop hedging our bets. We have to stop putting up these protective measures around our hearts so that we are trying to protect ourselves from this thing that seems a little bit too good to be true. Isaiah forty twenty eight says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. When uh, my mentor gave me this, that was one of the, the quotes he had in there. And a part of it was just like, there's a strengthening of your heart and, and a, an understanding of God's love and delight for you that you, you have not even began to experience or understand. And, and he put this verse with it. He does not faint or grow weary. We do not serve a God that when we mess up, that gets frustrated. We serve a God that when we come before him, Isaiah 62, 66, 1 and 2, it says, Those who are humble and contrite, meaning broken in heart, and tremble at his word, those are whom he receives. That's what it looks like to open heartedly go before God. It's not trying to take advantage of his grace. It's saying, I don't deserve this, Lord. I like I recognize that I see your word. I see you. I recognize that. And I'm putting my heart before you. The Lord looks upon those. And those alone. And and those, he does not grow faint or grow weary. cannot mess up too many times for God when you're coming before him with a posture of, Lord, I just want you and I'm broken before you. He does not grow weary of you. Christian, hear that. God does not grow weary of you. And I understand our framework for relationships is people grow weary really quickly. God's love does not grow faint or grow weary, and actually his understanding is unsearchable. All right, again, we don't have a box for this, this understanding. Ephesians 3, it goes beyond knowledge and understanding. His understanding is unsearchable. Romans 8 talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. Really, nothing? Nothing? That's what Scripture says, That doesn't make sense to me. That's just me putting my cards out there. It doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. But but the question is, do I have the faith between the what doesn't make sense and what Scripture says to say, I'm going to fill in that box with, Lord, I don't get this, but you just call me to put my heart out there for you and pursue you. And I pray that you you would reorient my mind and my heart to understand this more as I do but still I'm going to have faith to trust in your promises because I can't understand. Don't stifle this enjoyment because you can't understand that. God is offering you full freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is peace, there is guidance from the Lord, and he is offering that fully, and far too often we stifle that because we say, I don't deserve that. That's too good to be true. We put up these parameters, and we take really good things, like attending church and reading your Bible and, and giving, like all of these things, we take these really good things, and instead of them being an overflow of the goodness and joy, when you see the promises of God to say, I want to give this. I want to do this, it becomes I need to atone, I need to sacrifice, I need to make myself right before God. Allow yourself to believe in the promises of God. All of scripture is pointing towards God's love for his bride, God's love for his church, God's love for you. In the, in the same way that, that Zechariah sees these promises fulfilled when his son John is born, he, he comes to understanding of who he is and who is to come. We have seen another child born. We've seen Christ born. We saw him take on flesh. We saw him live a perfectly obedient life that we could not live. And we saw him get crucified on the cross so that we might be made righteous. And in his mercy, that's the only reason he did that, because he loves you and he wants you. For the joy set before him, you, his bride, he endured the cross. It's the only reason. That's a mercy we can't comprehend. But when we look at the cross, we look at what Jesus has done on the cross, that the cross displays that God is too good for this not to be true. God is too good for this not to be true. God coming into history, setting down his throne, taking on flesh, taking on our weakness, and dying for us. If you actually believe that truth, that Jesus came and died and resurrected, if you believe that truth, that that Christ came incarnate and took on humanity, if you believe that truth, God is too good for this not to be true, that this this is the way that he looks upon you because that, what Jesus has done, makes no sense aside from this. a father just wanting relationship with his children. So as we close today, as to we go into worship, just just ponder this and process this. Do you believe that this is too good to be true? Of God's mercy and love towards you? And and what are the ways that you, you're putting up protective measures or you're living that are not allowing your heart to sit in the enjoyment offered in Christ? What are these things that you're doing that's kind of putting up these walls, these protective barriers for you? See, because this changes everything. This changes everything. There's a really good quote on peace it says, the peace of God calms our hearts and makes us strong to live for God. It does not merely mean freedom from trouble. It means all that makes for man's highest good. See, when we allow ourselves to sit in the peace of God, it's not merely we're free from troubles, but we can actually experience our highest good found in Christ. It changes everything. But you have to, To allow your heart to be open to God for it to change everything. And God's sitting there waiting on you patiently and lovingly. Let me pray for us. I'm going to read Ephesians 3. Over us. I pray. Lord, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from Him every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. Lord, we do just plead that. Lord, you do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think, and that's specifically in the cross and the love that we have in you. I pray that you would strengthen hearts in here to know your love more, to allow you to see your love more, to allow you to experience your love more, that, that these protective measures that we put up because of relationships we have, experiences we have, traumas we have, Lord, that we would just put those down and allow your love in Allow your affections in. Allow us to see you and experience you in a different way. Lord, I plead over our hearts. I plead that we could comprehend this incomprehensible love just a little bit more. Praise you for the cross. Praise you for Christ. Praise you for your tender love and mercy towards us. Amen.